Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Now to the last in our absorbing series of inspiring stories of hope with a story of real determination and fight. Jodie Guerrero's determination saw her visit more than seven doctors over about 20 visits. She was consistently told the lump under her arm was nothing. But after 11 months, she found out quite dramatically she had stage 4 incurable non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. At 35 years of age, with two young girls and a husband, a clock was set ticking. Jodie was given 10 years to live. That was six years ago now. Today, after many twists and turns, Jodie is in remission. She is trusting God and, in the midst of all this, says she feels blessed. Jodie, welcome to Open House. Yes, thank you very much for having me, Lee. Pleasure. Jodie, you say your life sounds like a thrilling, emotional and gripping movie, but you actually want it to be more than that. That's right, Lee. After going through what I've been through, and I've dealt with lymphoma for almost six years now and um, I've been through so much that you know when you're in the cancer ward you see a lot of other people suffering through similar diseases and um, people sitting in the chemo chairs next to me who are having needles over and over or having different bits of chemo or having um, a lot of them having blood products which supports their immune system so you see a lot of people in the same situation as yourself and you just feel empathy for the people sitting next to you because a lot of them sometimes don't have as much time as you or a lot of them don't even have any idea what's going on or what what can happen to them in the future and so over time as you're going through this journey uh, you tend to have more empathy and more care and more uh, love for these people who are going through the same thing and so out of my journey I want other people who are suffering to find hope and optimism because there's always hope. As long as there's the next day, there's always hope for everyone. You say you've been trusting God and you feel blessed. Many mm. people would think that's a strange thing to say in the midst of what you've gone through over these last six years. That's correct, yeah. Um, I think you know a lot of people struggle inside the church and outside the church. Everyone struggles with illness and disability. And uh, I just feel that being alive every day is a blessing for me because I've been given... Whatever time God has given me on this earth, I've been given a chance to reach out to thousands of people who struggle every day and suffer every day with their own illnesses and own disability. And so I find this, um, my own journey, even though it's been tough and it's been difficult, um, it's a faith journey. It's something that's almost like being a gift for me. Although I don't believe the illness is from God and I don't believe that um, God causes illness in any way, I believe that there's a reason for everything and um, my journey has been for some reason given to me so that I can somehow affect and touch other people's lives and um, that's really what I'm here about and what I do my why I document my journey is so that other other people particularly women with children um, going through illness and disability have a hope and uh, and know that there's a future ahead of them that gratitude that you have and that mm. empathy and compassion Mm. Though it's such a marvellous perspective to have, I guess mm. you wouldn't have had that unless you'd gone through mm. these last six years. No, no. And actually, I, I look back often and I look at my life before I was diagnosed and even when I was trying to get a diagnosis and I was trying to find another way of describing it, I was just like everyone else, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I knew 
I knew a little bit about cancer. I knew uh, a little bit about it because one of my grandmothers had died from stomach cancer and I'd been through a little bit of it, but I knew really nothing about the day-in, day-out struggles of people with cancer and with an illness that would be a life-reducing type of illness. So it was it was uh, a real wake-up call for me when I was diagnosed that I was actually one of those people that would probably be struggling for quite some time. So it was after giving birth to your second daughter that you started to feel a kind of pain in your shoulder, then you felt mm. the lump. It's important to note that you just didn't ignore it. That's right. Um, the pain in the shoulder was intermittent, if you understand what I mean by that. So it would come for a little while, then it would go, it would come, it would go. And often when we, uh, as young mums, and I was a young mum at the time, um, we are picking up, you know, heavy baskets of washing, we're picking up heavy groceries, and we're we're pulling windows back and forth and doing all sorts of things with our arms and our shoulders. And at the time I had a, a baby and I'm thinking, well, it must be the way I'm picking her up and it must be the way I'm picking up, you know, my shopping or whatever. And it would come and it would go and I'd never actually felt any different type of pain other than muscle pain before and knew nothing about the fact that there could be such a thing as bone pain. Uh, And it was only until I was diagnosed that I realized that I was actually suffering from bone pain at the time and I had disease eating into the right shoulder bone, which was that pain that I was feeling. It took quite a time and many visits to GPs before you got Mm. anywhere. What's that say? Yeah, so um, I just um, sorry, I'll just correct you from before. You said I went to 21 doctors. I actually went to 21 different doctors visits yeah. uh, with seven different doctors um, oh, over okay, a period good. of time. Yeah, it's a bit confusing sometimes. And um, one GP I was visiting over and over, who was my main GP, and I just moved to that uh, to a new section of town and. I was not aware of all the GPs in the area and actually trying to find um, a, a GP that I was that I trusted and I was happy with. Um, and I had been going to this one GP for a while and he kept telling me over and over that the lump I had underneath my arm was um, just an enlarged lymph node uh, caused probably from co- constant infections I was picking up from my children, which I was at the time, but the infections were different in that they wouldn't go away. So I would have one infection get my antibiotics, um, go off the antibiotics and get another infection within a week. Um, These were the type of infections that just would not relent and would not go away. And so it was almost as if my system was struggling under the, just trying to get rid of infection and bacteria and wasn't able to cope. And um, I think what it says is that you know, we have lots of great doctors in in our communities around Australia, and we, you know, all of us should be thankful for our doctors and work with our doctors to get a better outcome for ourselves as patients. But I think also we need to be aware that um, although sometimes we think doctors know everything, they really don't. They're, they're human beings just like us. Yes. Um, and we need to also understand that. Um, we can do our own research, but work with our doctors as much as we can to try and find a better solution. And even if we have to, get second, third or fourth opinions. Yeah, that's why I say you're clearly determined. You didn't take mm. no for an answer easily. No, because I was, um, I felt like I was dying, to be honest. I felt like I was, um, everything on my right-hand side was getting worse. And it was like my left-hand side of my body had no pain, no problems. 
the right-hand side of my body, it was like the whole right-hand side was malfunctioning. And I had been seeking not just on the internet, but also I'd gone to a specialist at a breast clinic to inquire about this lump, which was actually located between my right-hand underarm and in, just inside the right breast. And I had uh, received a report from that specialist which had gone to my GP at the time who then dismissed the report and said that he was not concerned about the contents. Actually, when we did, when I did get diagnosed and I took the, the full, um, the full uh, you know, problem that I had to um, the authorities, we did find a number of mistakes and problems um, with that GP's um, outcome and with his diagnosis and... Uh, we did go ahead with a formal complaint. So it was quite a long journey um, and it is, every, every day it's a challenge, but um, I just try and find optimism in everything. Yeah. Tell us about the day that you got that diagnosis. Well, um, I got to the point where I'd seen, like I said, 21 different doctor's visits. I'd been to seven different doctors. I'd even been trying... Um, chiropractors and naturopaths and other different um, alternative health options. And I had um, said to my husband, I said, I'm having trouble when I go to the bathroom. At that point, I wasn't feeling anything when I went to the bathroom. And I said to my husband, there's something very wrong here. I'm not getting any more sleep. No one's helping me. There were some doctors even telling me I was a hypochondriac. Um, I said to my husband, I, I can't keep doing this because I'm working full time. I'm trying to go to doctors. I'm trying to look after the children and no one's helping me. No one's understanding me or listening to me. I said, we need to go to the ER tomorrow. If I feel like this again, we need to go. So we went and took my children to my parents' house and we went to the ER. We waited for four hours to see a doctor Finally, we got in and I was able to speak to a senior ER um, clinician who told me that he would like to do a, um, a CT just in case. We did the CT and he came out with a very worried look on his face and asked me some questions about um, a mole on my back and asked me whether I had had cancer before and a number of other inquiring questions, which kind of surprised me at the time because I had no understanding at all that the symptoms I had could be related to cancer and um, he said to us look we're going to have to do more investigations uh, we're going to keep you here for overnight at least and we'll let you know what we found and so I was admitted into an investigative ward we did a number of tests and then that night when I was with my husband a young doctor came to us she was a young Asian doctor and she was a lovely lady and said to us um, I'll never forget her words she said I've been chosen to tell you what's happening. In other words, she got the short straw. Wow. And um, she said, look, we've found that you have a malignancy in your back. It looks like you have cancers and tumours all through your right-hand side of your body, eating into nerves, muscles and bones. Uh, we don't know what the cancer is or where it's come from or how much it's spread, but it doesn't look good. I'm really, really sorry to tell you, um, but we'll have to keep you in for investigations and as you can understand, um, it was just devastating. Sure. And not just a shock, but it was also, um, in some ways it was a relief because it was like someone telling me, look, we believe you now and we understand that you do have a physical problem. You're not just making it up. 
Um, and it was something that, although it was a shock, it was a relief to say, okay, you're in good care now. Someone's going to take care of you and we're going to find out what's wrong. So that was, um, it was a combination of feelings. I remember grabbing hold of her shirt. At the time, I was in shock, grabbing hold of her shirt and just saying, look, please, please tell your friends, the doctors over there in the doctor's station, please tell them I have two children and I need to survive. And she just walked away from me and, and my husband and I were crying and everything else. And that's kind of what happened at the beginning. And then for the next one to two weeks, it was just constant testing, uh, x-rays, scans, blood tests of all different types. And it was just almost as if you're sitting there and you don't remember anything because you're trying to, you're trying to die, you're trying to figure out in your own mind and spirit what is actually going on and how did I come to this point? What did you say to God? <laughs> well, I, I, I always knew that God had a plan for my life. I always felt that there was some, something for me to do that was very big or very special and I could never explain that. But I always, I was just in a ball of tears and I, I, I remember lying there the first week and just crying and saying, God, how can, how can this possibly happen to me? I thought I was, you know, I, I know that, that you're my God and I love you and I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. I'm a Christian. I've been in church for many, many years and, and I've, I've served you. And why in the world would this happen to a person like me? Why would you abandon me and do this to me or allow this to happen to me? Um, and it was a it was a time of real searching and really... And there was one night I remember sitting in one of the wards. I was actually the first day I was in there for 10 weeks. And um, I remember sitting, looking out over the city, the Brisbane city where I was and uh, out of the ward and just crying, but also looking up and seeing these planes going across the city and thinking, well, you know, there is hope for me because these people are all alive and I'm sure there's thousands of people down there with cancer. I'm sure if many, many more people can get through cancer than I can get through it. And it was just a progress, a, a slow progress of just talking to God and trusting him over that period of time and and just understanding that there was really nothing I could do but pray and just trust God. As you reflect back now on some of those questions that you're understandably flinging mm. to him, mm. what are some of the answers that you would now reflect back on? Mm. Well, I remember... Um, when you're going through this time of shock, you know, and you're, you're finding out you're in hospital, it was it was so immediate. It was like I was at work on the Friday and I was in the cancer ward on the Sunday of that same weekend and, and I was fighting for my life on the Monday. Um, I um, It's such an immediate shock that you just sit there and, and you try to figure out things in your brain, but your brain isn't quite understanding how it could possibly happen the way it did. Um, and I remember sitting in this ward where I could look out over the city and I saw this cross in the distance and it was like, um, must have been a church of some kind with a red cross that was lit up in the background and every single night all the lights went off and the, the dust came down and, and this cross was standing there, right, you know, lit up at night, all red in front of me, right in front of my room and it was like a reminder to me that no matter what I go through or no matter which challenge I have or no matter how difficult my circumstances are, that cross is always there 
every single night shining in front of me, reminding me that Christ died for me and that he wouldn't abandon me. That was sort of part of the answer, I think. And these were huge things that you were learning that you would probably never have got again before. No, it's the age of 35. So it's not something that as a 35-year-old with two small children and you're sort of just starting out in life, you've bought your first house, you're starting to settle down. And um, for, for my husband and I, we had two little children and it's not something that you um, expect to happen at such a young age. No. Uh, it's not something that you expect that you're going to have to face at such a young age. And um, even for people who are older who get cancer, a lot of them are not expecting it and, and thinking that it doesn't happen to people like me, it happens to other people. Um, I think as, as humans, we all believe that from time to time about all of, all of the difficult circumstances we see, even on the news that happen to other people, we think that'll never happen to us. Um, unfortunately, as a world that, that has disease and that has illness and sickness, it happens to many of us, whether we're Christians or whether we're religious or not. And um, all of us, I think, when we're Christians and when we trust God, um, we have something different than what maybe other people have in that we have we have this ability to cling to the cross when things are difficult and when things are not working out the way we planned. We have this foundation beneath us that will keep us strong and keep us unable to go anywhere. It keeps us firm and safe. And um, really that's what the cross of Christ is all about and what Christianity is all about. No matter what happens, um, you'll be safe because he's with us. What a gift that that red cross was in your it window. Was. In the loneliness actually, of that time. I actually found out later on it was um, it was a, a Catholic church off in the distance and the cross that they put up on top of their... their um, they'd been lit up with sort of an icon of the city and it was actually a, a church that had been used in the Second World War um, for... for uh, I think it was a Polish... Uh, Catholic Church in the Second World War. So it, it had some history behind it also, yes. but it was just um, the fact that that cross was there facing the hospital uh, was almost as if it was just a constant reminder to me to not fret the way I felt like fretting. <laughs> yes. Since then, you've been in and out of remission, and yes. I can only begin to imagine what a roller coaster that is when you're told yes. you're in remission and then you relapse. I was determined after um, 11 months of treatment and rest that I would go back to work and it was just part of my the way that I am. I just wanted to make sure that the disease and, and my body understood that I wanted to continue on as normal. Even though the disease doesn't have a personality, it becomes almost something that's like a foe to you. And so you, as a person and as a woman, as a strong woman, I decided I wanted to... Um, Pursue, continue to pursue my career even though people told me not to um, but it was something personal to me and something important to me so I, I went ahead and went back to work and I was able to work full time for another eight months regardless of what I'd been through and, um, and I was successful in doing that however I did start to relapse during that time and by the time we realised it was disease um, I really had to leave work and, and that's when I went back into treatment and uh, started to discover that I had disease again. It was located in the S1 nerve at the base of my spine and it was again, once again, threatening the right right leg in terms of my mobility. 
so we had to get rid of it with some more chemo, but much stronger than the last chemo. How are you feeling about the future? And how are you feeling about the future for those two beautiful girls and your husband? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I was telling you before that there is a lot of hope out there for people who have blood cancers, which is the type of cancer that I have had. Um, blood cancers in themselves can be repetitive cancers in terms of uh, relapsing over and over again. It just depends on the type of cancer you have and the staging that it was first discovered in. Um, like, for instance, leukemia and lymphoma, there are huge amounts of research going on now into uh, new treatments and particularly also um, trying to figure out how to cut off the food supply for leukemia cells, which are related to lymphoma cells as well. So there's a lot of exciting research into... There was one researcher here in Brisbane who particularly was able to isolate a leukemia cell in a Petri dish he was able to cut off the food supply outside the body. And these type of um, advances in research are very, very important, yes. uh, mainly figuring out what the, what the food supply is for these diseases and how to cut them off inside the body and how to stop the diseases from growing and advancing so that more people have more quality of life and a longer period of life as well. Even, even still, um, we're always looking for a cure and there are a lot more smart drugs out now than there used to be. So even five years before I was diagnosed, um, there wasn't much hope for people in my circumstance. But now there are new drugs coming out that are specifically targeted to the malignant cells only that are causing problems in your body. Some of these um, drugs are worth about $4,000 a pop. And thank goodness in Australia we live in a country with a socialised medical system which provides for people in my position and pays for all of those drugs. So um, I think in terms of where we are in history, in terms of medical research for blood cancers, we're very, very blessed. And I'm blessed to be able to be the recipient of some of these drugs as well. And also blessed, I guess, that there's an even bigger picture beyond right. the hope of uh, some kind of cure. Mm. Well, the bigger picture for me is reaching out to um, not just Christians and religious people, but people in the world who um, are suffering and having difficulty with their own circumstances in terms of their own illness and diseases and disabilities. Um, I think for a lot of people out there who get a disease or a disability, they think, I'm pretty useless now, I've got a disease, I just have to sit at home and, and not do anything. But there is hope for those people, they can use their story to reach others. They can use their story to change lives and to um, raise awareness, not just about the disease and the symptoms, but also raise awareness for people who are struggling about ways they can cope from a day-to-day -day basis with the symptoms they're dealing with. Um, many people who have had cancer in the past continue to have pain and symptoms for a long period of time in different ways, and it. it varies of course from patient to patient but I think um, there is hope for everyone if we listen to each other's stories and each story is very powerful uh, we listen to each other's stories learn from each other and give each other hope uh, about the way that we we work every day to face each challenge as they come with the journey that you've been on with God right through this from mm. even before your illness would you say anything to those kind of people about either the importance or even the urgency mm. of considering that faith? Yeah, um, 
I just encourage everyone who's listening, um, it's important to have a foundation below your life in terms of, you know, when something comes along, when the storm comes, and uh, for most of us, we will get some kind of a storm in our lives where we'll face either a death in the family, an illness, a disability, or something will happen to us where we'll be just knocked off our foundations. Or, or the wind will try and knock us off our foundations. But what I want to encourage other people out there to know is that whatever faces you, if you have a foundation, and my foundation is God and Jesus Christ, if you have a foundation that, that binds you and keeps you safe, you'll always stand firm and you'll always be able to give hope to others. So I just want to encourage anyone who's struggling out there and you're, you're thinking, what can I do about my situation? What can I do... Um, to, to find that there's hope for me in the future. I just want to encourage you to reach out to God tonight. Reach out and um, pray to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and love and empathy and hope because he's there for you and he wants to be, you know, wants to envelop you in your situation. And so it's important to reach out to God because he's there for you and the church community in your neighborhood is there for you as well. I'm so struck by your wisdom and courage in the midst of such a fire that you've been through over these last mm. few years. And I'm mm. sure you've been a great comfort mm. and inspiration to many tonight on Open House. Jody Guerrero, mm. I'm so pleased to be able to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Well, thank you. And um, my website is jodysjourney.com, so anyone can go there and, and read my journey. And I'd be, love, I'd be happy to talk to anyone who needs assistance. You're a gem. And we'll put the link up on our Open House Community Facebook page. Jodie, thanks thank you, so Lee. much. No worries. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.